As a single young man living in beautiful Baja, Mexico, one day I decided I was going to teach myself how to surf in the menacing waters of the Pacific Ocean. And I was never a sportsman, but I, you know, my, my sweatest sport was page flipping and pencil shaking. But I love the fact that some people could ride those waves with uh, such a mastery. You know, they, they would slide through those tubes, uh, you know, defying the raging tons of water as they uh, uh, outran the beast that would swallow whatever was on its reach. And of course, being the nerd that I was, I knew everything there was to know about waves and surfboards and wax and currents and whatnot. Uh, at the beginning, of course, I missed some waves, but I found comfort in the fact that either they were too little or they lacked the water volume that I needed or that I thought that I needed, uh, when all of a sudden uh, the water on the horizon began to rise and then it started coming my way really quickly. So I assumed the position and I started paddling as fast as I could and as hard as I could. And in a minute I was on top of the wave and I was just paddling, but I was paddling so excited and so hard that I actually went beyond the wave and I fall, the board fall on me and I don't know how many pounds of water pushed me into a whirl and I was underwater totally disoriented. So as I swam vigorously trying to go to what I thought was the surface, I was in fact swimming in the opposite direction with all my strength uh, fighting for a gasp of air until I touched the bottom and I realized the size of my mistake. Now, the same is true in our daily lives. You see, as we continue our series on Elijah and Elisha, we'll see today in today's chapter that we are in fact on a path, but the direction we walk will determine our outcome and it will permeate every area of our lives. So today we'll learn that walking away from God plunges us into nasty consequences. We become self-centered, we give way to greed and covetousness, we lie, we kill, and we steal, and we become doomed enemies of God. However, walking towards God has eternal rewards. We become God-centered, we develop contentment, we love sacrificially, and we are made children of God. So let us pray as we consider these things together. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would guide us through your word and that your Holy Spirit will touch our hearts, that you will let us know your will and that we will be transformed by what you have revealed in scriptures. Help us follow you. Help us make the right choices in our lives so that we will honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, the book of First and Second Kings was written right after the exile. And one of the reasons why they were written is because the people of Israel were pretty much blaming God for their circumstances and what happened to them, as we typically do. You see, not realizing that we ourselves are the one who put us into the mess we're in, not owning our mistakes and trying to find culprits elsewhere. But First and Second Kings reminded the people of Israel that God warned them that this would happen if they continued to walk uh, in the contrary direction or if they continued to walking away from God. So. We have this list of kings and everything that they, that they were doing, all their wrongdoings, showing us how most of them kept walking away from God. 
Ahab was probably the worst of these kings. And last week we read that even, uh, even though God approached him so many times with his grace and his mercy, even though he gave him the victory over the Syrian army and he shows mercy there, Ahab continues to walk away from God. So chapter 21 begins with the king of Israel in his auxiliary residence in Jezreel. But uh, if you've heard the phrase, the neighbor's grass is always greener, Ahab took this to the very next level because he used his position as king to try to take Naboth's uh, vineyard when he said to him in verse 2, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. Now, on the surface, it seems as an innocent business proposal. But in reality, when the king tells you, give me your vineyard, everyone knows he's not asking. But it is Naboth, the subject, who needs to remind the king of Israel that he cannot sell the land because it is not his to sell. It is God's. You see, when the land was distributed, God commanded the people of Israel that they could not sell their land because it belonged to God and it was not theirs to sell. It was to remain in the families God had ordained. And so Naboth reminds the king, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And here's where I say that walking away from God plunges us into nasty consequences because we become self-centered. You see, all Ahab can think of is himself. Verse 4 tells us that he went home vexed and sullen because he couldn't get his way. What's more, he lay down in his, on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Can you believe that? I mean, the guy lives in an ivory house. He has plenty of whatever he needs. He's the king. Oh, but he's now depressed. He doesn't want to come out of bed. He's facing the wall. He doesn't want to eat anything because he can't have his neighbor's backyard. Of course, there's more to it than just a neighbor's backyard. You know, in the Bible, the nation of Israel is symbolized as a vineyard and Egypt as a garden. So the hint here is that Ahab wants to become like Egypt, whether he's thinking on a superpower or a great kingdom or, or what's even worse. He's completely rejecting God. And at the end of the day, the point is, it comes down to, to his own self-centered desires. He can have what he wants. So if I can have what I want, I don't want to leave anymore. You see, when you become self-centered, you believe that the whole world spins around you. And it's all about you, isn't it? People don't understand you. Nobody listens to you. No one pays attention to your amazing insight. Your parents don't respect your independence. Your children do things on purpose just to annoy you. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to live anymore. No one understands me. And then I go to church to get pumped up and the preacher tells me that I'm a snowflake. Oh, I don't want to live. And then there's this tunnel vision where everything at the end of the tunnel is yourself. And everything at the beginning of the tunnel is yourself. And you begin to live a life where you 
think you are the center of the universe. And since you believe you're the center of the universe, you now give way to greed and covetousness. Because now I want it. I deserve it. I must have it. When Jezebel sees the snowflake of a husband throwing his king-sized tantrum, and he retells the story to his concerned wife, this is what she responds to Ahab on verse 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Talk about, talk about a woman who wants to show the king who holds the scepter in that kingdom. So she wrote letters to ah on Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And, and she sent the letters to the, to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters very detailed instructions to have a day of fasting and to have two false witnesses to accuse Naboth of blasphemy so that they would stone him to death. That was quite the plan and also a further step away from God. And that's why I said that when we walk away from God, we lie, we kill, we steal. You see, the leaders in Jezreel followed Jezebel's plan to the dot. They had all the people gather for a day of fasting. Naboth was set at the head of the people and the false witnesses accused Naboth of cursing God and the king. So they took the innocent man outside of the city, and they stone him to death. Verse 14 says that, Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. It's really interesting that the letters were written in the king's name, with the king's seal, but they bring word to Jezebel. You see, this can only mean that they knew who was the hand that rocks the cradle. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. How far can people go when they become self-centered, greedy, that they lie, they kill, they steal. That take possession literally means stealing it. You see, the funny thing is that I have been saying that these are some of the nasty consequences of walking away from God. And we see this in Ahab's story. But if you look at the Ten Commandments from the bottom up, it's actually very striking to me that they follow the very same pattern. The last commandment is, you shall not covet which is precisely what Ahab began doing. I want it. I need it. It must be mine. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oops, seems like that one was also broken. You see, it was a very serious thing to give a false testimony because your false testimony could actually uh, kill someone or, or have someone killed. And that's exactly what happened to Naboth. Next one up, you shall not steal. Hmm. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Every single step away from God is a step closer to our demise. The minute you and I realize that our focus has become so nearsighted, that we have become so self-centered, all the alarm lights must go off because we are 
going to the bottom of the ocean and we're no longer walking towards God. It's not what I want, how I want it, when I want it, but what God wants, how He wants it, when He wants it. Sometimes we deceive ourselves and we deceive ourselves into our own destruction. That's why James writes in James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And it's so subtle that we even find ways to justify ourselves. Ahab could have said, I offered him money. I mean, I even offered him a, a, a larger vineyard. I mean, what else could have I done? What else could I do? Well, for once, not killing an innocent man. But we are the same. You see, I've sat through many hours of counseling throughout my ministry, and I could probably write two or three volumes with all the excuses that I've heard from people over and over and over, and they're all the same. No, 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 no. But it's different in my case. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I can deal with this. No, no, no. You know, I, I, I didn't have a choice. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. Ah, God will understand. Yes, God will understand. Well, let's see. Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Well, Jorge, wait a minute. I, I, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I might have said a lie or two, but nothing really significant. Uh, maybe I've stolen something as a kid, but I, I don't do those things anymore. Well, you see, that's the thing with justice. A little lie, a big lie, a white lie, an orange lie, whatever color you want to give it, a lie is a lie regardless. Even if you say, oh man, I forgot to call you, and you didn't forget, that's a lie. And God is truth. In fact, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. So lies are anti-God. Jesus even said that those who lie are from their father, the devil, because He's the father of lies, and He's been a liar from the beginning. Well, how about stealing? Ah, you might not keep your neighbor's shovel that you borrowed, but do you always arrive on time to work and live on time from work? Or are there a few minutes that get magically lost that you get paid for? I mean, we dig a little deeper and we'll find things that everybody does that are not totally compliant with God's law. And you might say, well, I haven't killed anybody. But Jesus said that if you were angry at your brother, if you insult your brother, if you say, you fool to your brother. Is the same as if you'd kill him. So the point is this, that by doing these things, we're walking away from God and we have become doomed enemies of God. You see, that's the conclusion the people of Babylon needed to 
Gad, when they first read First and Second Kings, they needed to draw that conclusion from these stories. They were blaming God for their problem and the mess they were in, just as Ahab calls Elijah my enemy. But you see, God always sets the record straight. Listen to verse 20. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. You know, he made the people to sin by killing an innocent man. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. They would have no proper burial. That's no hope in the resurrection. Wow! Those are horrible words. But again, you don't want God as your enemy. For His justice is righteous. And a God, a good judge, punishes unrighteousness. As a matter of fact, if you have the stomach for it, when you read 2 Kings 9, you have a very graphic fulfillment of this prophecy because God will never have for innocent a guilty person. You see, and the writer of uh, 1 Kings tells us a summary of the life of Ahab. He says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably and going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. Now, the story doesn't end here. In fact, we are giving yet another glimpse of God's mercy and loving kindness. Because when Ahab heard these things, this is the very first time we hear of the king tearing his clothes and wearing sackcloth on his flesh. And God notices it and he says to Elijah, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. This is an amazing display of God's mercy. Just because Ahab's is sorry. I mean, he's not repentant, for he has done no retribution whatsoever, given proof of repentance. But he did humble himself, and God spared him from seeing the disaster that would come as a consequence for his sin. Now, at the beginning, I told you that there's one path with two directions. And so far, we've seen one of those directions, walking away from God. But the other direction is walking towards God, and that has eternal rewards. So in the few minutes we have left, uh, let me tell you that when we walk towards God, that has eternal rewards because we become God-centered. You see, it is when we recognize that we are spiritually broke, that we have become enemies of God in need of reconciliation, that we must acknowledge the only direction to follow is towards God. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.18 says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So when we understand that God Himself became a man to pay the penalty for our sins, to die in our place, and that with His life He has purchased our lives, then we become God-centered. Because it's no longer what I want, but what God wants, for I am His. It's no longer what I have accomplished, but what He has accomplished on my place, in my account. And that's why we can develop contentment, because as we walk towards God, we get to know Him better and we get to experience Him better. And we understand His sovereignty and care, His wisdom in giving us exactly what we need. And nothing else, none, none of those things, the things we're not being given, are things that would lead us astray from the amazing gift of His grace. So we can live a truly satisfied life. Because having Jesus, we need nothing else. And as we walk towards God, we experience the sacrificial love that we receive from Jesus, an undeserved love, even knowing our darkest secrets. He still chose to love us and take every blow we deserve and now calls us to love others in the same way that He has loved us. And finally, we are made children of God. That is the most amazing thing in the universe. When we recognize our sin, when we truly repent before Christ, when we receive what He has done for us in His death, burial, and resurrection, we are made children of God. We are no longer creatures of God. We're no longer enemies of God, but children of God, part of His family, co-heirs with Christ. Huh. Why would any of us choose the path of Ahab or Jezebel? And yet we need God's mercy. We need His grace. We need His love. Because even when we are melting snowflakes, He's always there for us. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank You so much. What a gift we have in Jesus. We bless You, God, and we ask that uh, You will continue drawing us near to You, that we will walk on the path towards You every day of our lives, that we will get to know You better that we will get to know you more and that we will be so centered in you that we can have a satisfied life because you are everything we need. You are our all, our everything. You are our Savior, our Father. We bless you, God. Amen.